Good afternoon. Hope you're good. I'm Jack Chew. This is Chewing It Over. Weekdays, 12.30 till 1 o'clock, in which we discuss whatever is topical, usually in my industry, which is the MSK industry. And we, I'm a physiotherapist by background, but we often talk about whatever is hot and topical, and especially where those things intersect with culture and what's going on in general. And this is one of those topics, really. Uh, I think that's obviously we've talked plenty about the pandemic, how it's affecting things, but also um, really passionate about how conversation develops, narratives and rhetoric and, and how things we can move forward together, especially as an online collective trying to do the right thing. And my core project across all my different ventures is to raise standards in MSK practice. And so whenever anything, I'm always looking at things through that lens. And one of the things I think is really powerful on that is better conversation. And so one of the people that I've had really good conversations with recently is a lady called Sue Julians, who joins me today on today's show. We've just had a couple of bits of tech issues. And so I see though she's in the lobby, it seems to be working fine, but Sue, if you can hear me okay, your iPad's upside down. So if I bring you in at that, you will be upside down. I don't know if that then means that uh, you can turn it around and it's gonna work, but at the very least, you're gonna get Sue upside down, uh, which is gonna be, gonna be amusing. Um, but yeah, one of the things we wanted to talk about is that Sue has been um, one of the, she, she, and she'll tell you her, her story, but she also recently has been you know, talking a bit about COVID and long COVID and, and how we can best help patients and, and functional recovery and biopsychosocial model and stuff. And it's become, me and her have both noticed that it's like a really awkward hot button topic on something that's really important that we find a way to navigate and talk about, right? Important things need talking about, important. Um, and so we need to try and find a way to do that. But it's increasingly fraught with challenges, um, really. And we're going to talk a little bit about that together. Um, and so hopefully, in a, in a couple of clicks, I'm going to be able to, to bring Sue in. I noticed that she's, she's taking me for a walk around her house at the moment. So uh, I don't know if she's like roaming towards better signal or something. So I'm just going to hold fire for a second. For those that are tuning in live, hi, welcome, thank you. Please comment in the, in the box that you can hear me okay. Uh, but also, uh, one of the questions I want to ask you ahead of time is what is your experience with long COVID and what is your experience with talking about long COVID? Um, someone's telling me there's a lot of interference. Is that the problem with maybe my mic as well then? That's annoying. Um, let, me, let me see. Okay. Is that any better? Bad noise, you see? I'm glad I asked. Sorry, guys. A lot of interference, bad noise, bit crackly. Is that any better? Just changed changed the mic over. Is that any better? A lot of crackling. Talita said it's not a problem when I'm not talking. <laughs> better for everyone then. I'll just shut up. Hopefully Sue's works. Okay, cool. Everyone's saying that that's better. Sorry about that, gang. Right. Glad I asked. Here we are. That's all cleared up okay. So, without further ado, Sue, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes, can hear you. You. Oh, yeah. I was going to yes. say it's a bit. It was a bit dark. Was that then? I thought you were yeah, like yeah, looking yeah, yeah. ominous in a corner. But no, I can get. I can see you. I can hear you. You're not yes. upside down, so we can get going. <laughs> That's, that's brilliant. So, yeah, my, my question I just asked the audience um, and that I'm interested in their comments and thoughts on is what's your experience with long COVID? And also, what's your experience with talking about long COVID if you've braved it on the internet or have you observed anything that is interesting in that space? Now, the question I want to put you to you first, though, is could you tell us a little bit about your 
your story, your journey with regards to your own personal experiences with COVID and then it's sequelae. Okay, so I caught long COVID in Austria in February last year. Um, I didn't know it was COVID. In fact, I was told it wasn't COVID because I didn't have a temperature. Um, and so I basically was floored for about 10 days. Um, after a day or so of just total body aches, I started coughing and I coughed for six weeks. Um, and when I stopped coughing, I still thought it was some kind of weird flu some kind of God only knows type virus that we get in the winter. Um, I started to try and run and it would put me in bed for two days. And I'm like, right. hang on a minute. This is, this is, this isn't normal. Um, and I remembered what my husband had been like in 2015 when he had glandular fever. Yeah. And um, because his brother had had ME in his twenties and was a very high flying investment banker, very driven guy, but couldn't work for three years. Um, and because of that, we researched recovery from glandular fever at the time. And he basically took six months off work um, or didn't take on any more work for, for a six month period. So that would give him ample time to recover properly. And he was very sick. He was hospitalized. Right. Um, he had kind of a set almost like a pre-sepsis type thing you could smell mm -hmm. the infection when you entered the room type thing so he was actually had in, intravenous antibiotics and all that sort of. so i kind of thought oh my goodness is this kind of one of those post-viral syndromes that you have to be very very careful about and and, and and take some time on and so that's what i did so i thought well every now and again i'll have a, i'll have a wee go and of course uh, lockdown happens so I wasn't going to work anyway. I was physically exercising much less. All the gyms were shut. So, so I was, it was disguised in a way for quite a long time. Um, and I didn't have any of the problems of concentrating that other people did because I was working 18 hours a day for about three months just trying to keep my business afloat, as most people in my position were. Um, and I didn't have any brain fog. I didn't have any problem in concentrating. And it didn't seem to make the fatigue any worse. But yeah, I was working sodding hard. So, so, so that was where I came from. And I, and I went on Twitter about kind of May time when I had an antibody test that, that was positive. And it's like, oh, it was COVID then. Um, and, and, and I quickly kind of said, well, it, it is graded exercise a thing that we use for this? Um, because obviously, I know it's a problem with things like ME, but is this appropriate for COVID? And and then got into a conversation online with a group of people who work with ME and, and they were like, no, don't do this. It's, it can be very damaging and very dangerous and it's, it can really mess you up. And so I did a lot of reading, a lot of reading on this and, 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 and figuring out how I could help my patients most when they come into clinic having had COVID and they've come with a neck pain or, or something like that, because I'm not going to treat ME patients. It's not in my scope of practice. But how do we flag these people early to make sure they have the help that they need? Right. And so I was looking at things like ME type symptoms post exercise malaise, but also lung symptoms. So looking at um, oxygen saturation, let's talk about using, using a, a, a finger probe um, and getting them to stand up and seeing if the oxygen sats drop and being careful to ask about lung symptoms, about chest pain, about shortness of breath, about all of these things, as well as the post-exercise malaise, so that I wasn't inadvertently making anybody worse by trying to rehab their musculoskeletal injury 
with all this in the background. Yeah. So that 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 was where I really came from on it. And 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 as I say, I, I wouldn't dream of treating these people with, with established ME or chronic fatigue. Um, I just really wanted to know these people that aren't in that basket. How do we advise them in the early stages when we can maybe even prevent the post-viral fatigue syndrome that would then might lead to ME? Or so, so all this stop, rest, pace stuff, that all made sense because that is what I did just instinctively yeah. um, with a bit of knowledge. And I thought, yeah, that's great. So hopefully we can prevent these people going down that thing. But then at six months, all of a sudden I could exercise. So whatever had happened, my body had then cleared it. And so I could then use a graded exercise tolerance regime and return to full fitness. And I'm like, that's not what I was expecting. I thought this was this pathway that would go away. So then I started to think, okay, well, these are obviously lots of different subsets. Some will go in, up on to develop this horrible chronic disease, but, but some would and how do we tell the difference? How do we, and how do we best help the person in front of us and who we don't understand which subset they go into? Well, that's one of the things that across various different conditions, and this is no different, where an accuracy of prognosis, whilst difficult to find, one of the mistakes that we can't make is, is underplay it in such a way that you're therefore saying, oh, this will clear in a week when it won't. But similarly, it's fatalistic to infer that Strap, strap yourself in for a long haul, completely adjust your life and plans for it because that's that's you now. That's that's not fair or evidence-based on either of those counts because, of course, we're still learning and, and these things are emerging. And glandular fever, for example, is an interesting one because we know how disruptive that can be. However, we also know people that had a shorter window of time of which it affected them and that they, for all yes. they, they know, apart from it being very... Uh, something that they rarely forget quickly. It's certainly not something that has a legacy that was significantly disruptive to their life or any ongoing symptoms. And that range is something that is part of the interesting mystery of human physiology, as well as just generally what we come to come to be and how we need to interact with the world. Now, one of the things we did is on Chewing It Over is we had a podcast with Darren Brown a few weeks back now, um, where we felt like we went into detail over, over long COVID and, and some of the do's and don'ts. Um, one of the things that he was rightly at pains to, to express is the dangers of, of exerting yourself too much and to not keep an eye on some of those things and to, to therefore make a mistake of them worsening uh, and, and failing the basic Hippocratic Oath of doing no harm by just thinking yeah. that we can just G people up and play the Mr. and Mrs. Motivator type thing. Now, one of the things, though, that has been a bugbear of mine probably more since then than at the time, because I didn't encounter it as much, but... There is a bit of it is a bit pedantic to use somewhat academic labels for what it, where exercise begins and where activity stops, right? So I kind of feel a bit narked at the fact that I feel like I could conclude the key message is to go steady, right? Just just take it a bit easier than you might instinctively do. I don't care if they also have OANE and you want to give them a load of squats to do and you'd love for them to be out of breath in normal circumstances take it a bit easier for various reasons now what is what has been sort of forced through though is this notion of that the relevant there's a huge relevant difference between exercise as it's constituted and activity as it's constituted and as a physiotherapist we will give out a pendular exercise for a shoulder that is super basic but it we're calling it an exercise right that's the nomenclature and the fact that 
therefore taking it easy and, and getting getting that through will cut through more than what is currently happening, which is this notion that exercise is the, is the devil, yet paced activity is exactly what is required. It's like a lot of therapists don't make that relevant distinction. And and I, and I see why, and I'm, I'm one of them really. So wow, I feel like that's that's an interesting is, it's kind of irritating me that I think that as, as someone who obviously is in, is in marketing as well, it's like, you just never, you're never going to get that through because you're split, you're seeming to split hairs and it's starting then uh, to be something that comes between people. So that's, yeah, just my perspective on something that, um, that you've, you've obviously then spoken a bit more about your experiences and those of how you translate it to patients. But I just wondered your reflections on, on that atmosphere, as well as then what I've just described as how I've been admittedly narked in recent weeks. I think I think I think one of the most important things to come out of uh, all of this is the importance of listening to your patient doing a proper subjective exam finding out all their symptoms all comorbidities because if you take a decent enough subjective exam you will find out if they're suffering from post-exercise malaise anyway because they'll get it from doing normal stuff they've mm. already found this out because the instinctive thing to do is to try and recover using graded exercise tolerance that's what we all do you feel a bit crap for a few weeks with an illness you start to try and do a bit more you gradually build up in the gym it's it doesn't have to be formalized that's what people would do naturally mm. and so you're gonna get that answer all right but you just it, it and um so this and this kind of almost reflex against graded exercise tolerance without defining what defining what graded exercise tolerance actually is when it is as you say can be quite similar to stop rest pace because it's it's testing your yeah. energy envelope seeing if it is and working within that carefully there is a reasonable amount of crossover. They're not diametrically opposite. No, benefit of the doubt on this as well is that because of some of this language has been, it overlaps with some of the um, ME and CFS activism that we spoke about on a podcast way back about the adjustments to the NICE guidance and stuff that's occurred, whereby the PACE trial yeah. and uh, graded exercise therapy being part of, the, of, um, of what would be something that people are against, that then starts to, to muddy the water. And also that people just talking as you and I do as, as non-specialists in this space means that you, you just feel like at this point you're treading on landmines left, right and centre because yeah. we're, we, it is not necessarily, at least especially at the point of entry of this conversation, and we, it's not necessarily, and it's interesting because I'm a, I'm a commentator on this, so I'm a bit more thorough than I would be. But if I was just a physio then just wanting to shoot the shit on the internet about this stuff and thinking, well, how can I do the best for my patients and not make these mistakes, is that it is not necessarily my, um, it's not a fair expectation of me to know that entire back catalogue of history on that, on PACE, on ME, on, on CFS, right? And to know it to, to the detail, especially because it's been fraught and controversial. But then what happens is that the exercise thing we've just talked about is one beef, but then the other one is more about they start to then really another trigger for that community is by a psychosocial model or the inference that psychosocial symptoms are somewhat relevant to this story and they um, have some issue and take some issue with that and therefore part of their companion activism 
is that it is something that is a solely biomedical condition that has been underappreciated and undervalued. And they are seeing this as an opportunity through long COVID to therefore manage to get some airtime over a long fought yeah. battle. Yeah. And I hope that, I really hope that all this research now being done on these things, I mean, the, the fact that they're now beginning to use a range of six, seven different antivirals on people that have COVID and seeing what effects that has, I hope that all the things they're now beginning to look at um, have uh, relevance when you're talking about ME as well. But I think that conflating the two absolutely is a mistake. And also, you know, a psychological effects on recovery the most of the because I work in primarily in occupational health and a lot of my patients all the patients that have the worst most uh, the worst conditions and the most long-lasting conditions are the ones with an, a brutal work 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 ethic who work through their conditions who who are who 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 have to prove themselves the whole time they don't want to let their team down they don't want to have this condition so they pretend they don't have it that is a psychological driver for to increase the longevity of their complaint because they don't put any boundaries on. They don't do their own pacing because they feel responsible at work. So um, it's not a slur to suggest that psychology in those cases has, an, uh, has, a, has a negative effect on somebody's condition and their recovery. And what if you've got a couple of kids homeschooling at home, your, your husband's lost his job, are you really telling me this has no effect at all on your symptoms and how you're feeling? Uh, I, I, I'm just going to call bullshit on that because because we all know that that has a massive effect. Mm. And it's, For me, it just feels that that is a... It harks back. It's, a, it's what I've been calling a new age dualism. It's a mind-body dualism that we've taken a while to still to, still attempting to, to drag various corners of the MSK industry, kicking and screaming away from structuralism or narrow biome biomechanical focuses of people's presentations. And yet in this instance, we're sort of suggesting that no, there are organic and inorganic illnesses and disorders. There are things that are narrowly biological, psychological and social phenomena rather than this integrated melting pot, David Poulter calls it the pancake, um, that's, that of course becomes difficult to separate and tease out, nor need we. Now, one of the no. things that, that what, what have you encountered then when trying to float that as being a completely reasonable clinical notion and something you know I would and, and do support, what have you encountered uh, and what, what veracity of, of opposition have you had to, to what are basic reasonable statements like that? Well, when I first kind of thought about the, the get uh, in the earlier stages and I was kind of slightly leapt on and I thought, oh, my goodness, I didn't expect that response. And then, as I say, that's when I started reading about it. And of course, when, you know, when you're commenting on social media and you're asking questions and you get this wall of you're telling me that my condition is psychological and I'm like, well, I'm why are you personalizing this? I'm not actually talking about you or your condition. You've, you've clearly got a long-term condition and I'm really sorry if I've upset you. And this is, I'm trying to explain my thinking to somebody who's got an expert opinion on their own condition, but I'm, I think the Venn diagrams of what I'm talking about and they're talking about, there's no intersection at all. Right. Um, I, you know, and so, and I feel terrible for having upset a few people who have this horrible condition that they've struggled for years to get recognized and proper, properly researched. But I'm not 
saying that their condition is brought on by any of their mentality at all. I'm not, I'm just saying, how do we best help our patients who might have all these different conflicting pressures and stresses mm. to minimize the negative effects on their recovery? So it, it, it is, it was like, oh my goodness, what, what, what's happening here? We need to have these conversations. Yeah, and I think that that's that's a, a really really good point, and certainly something that we need to. It's kind of as I said in the intro. It's like what what is the how on earth would we make progress if we are managing to talk past each other on quite basic knowns and norms? And I think that that's where it's fascinating this intersection with activism over over this. Um, and someone that you know, as, as many know uh, on this show and beyond, is that I'm a a big campaigner for various different reforms set up and founded a, a think tank in that direction. I'm not averse to the word or the form of activism of trying to garner for change and stuff. But generally speaking, one of the things that you need to do is you need to find common language and also start to recognize that you, you need to create a big tent. And one of the things that seems to be happening is there is a bit of a tribal uh, tribal factions based on these two things we've just talked about with the, the, the word exercise being somehow the devil the uh, the act of then inferring that this is something that is holistic and more complex and that can in various different cases have uh, you know naturally um, uh, social and cultural phenomena that can associate to it now no one's then inferring causation to that right that's just a, no and also exactly. that's, that's the, that, that speaks that's for me very difficult because as clinicians we've kind of that's the water in which we swim now, isn't it? You've got various different understanding interplay, but you don't really infer that one one thing is causing this. It's kind of no. the growing out of uh, structuralism's kind of got that. But for patients, I can have sympathy for the fact that 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 is. Um, they've, they've been especially those that have been. In, it's been inferred that they've been malingering and all that sort of horrible legacy. They yeah, hear, yeah. they hear us say. Well, that sounds a really difficult and challenging circumstance to deal with. That will have some consequence and, and contribution to your current situation. And somehow they're hearing that we're we're being dismissive and, and that, that we're yeah. then referring cause to as if it's an anxiety-related cause. Yes, yes, exactly. And I think also the other thing that I'm aware of is that you know lung symptoms pain shortness of breath all those kind of things that are not a feature of me normally risk getting overlooked i mean a lot of people are having a completely different set of symptoms um and and you know people are having to do a lot of work on that and that there's an awful lot of focus on this one aspect that happens to be a feature of me whereas we should we need to look at the whole thing we don't understand it yet Mm. So we need to be taking all of those things into consideration, really. And we're going to miss um, the opportunity to potentially come up with innovative solutions to it if we were to put all those eggs yes. in one basket. Yes, exactly right. So if we're only looking at that, then we're going to miss some really important stuff elsewhere. You might I mean, want to... You know, if you're, you're talking about anaerobic threshold and, and then post-exercise malaise, but hang on a minute. What about these guys that are having problems with their lungs? Isn't there a relevant intersection between you know, not being able to breathe in enough and, <laughs> and, and this anaerobic threshold. Hmm. Why, aren't, why aren't we talking more about that? You know, yeah. or, or maybe, maybe this is happening and I'm just not aware of it. But, 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 you know, we need to be looking at all these different aspects. And why are these people spontaneously resolving? Hmm. 
like one to two years was the average for the, the prolonged symptoms. So are they the same? I don't know. Uh, you know. We're yeah, I'm sorry. I, I, I don't know if it was just mine or whether or not your signal broke up for everyone there, Sue. Sorry about that. I missed the last part of what you were saying. Um, hopefully everyone else heard it. But <laughs> No, I was just basically saying we've got to, we've got to keep an open mind and, 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 uh, and understand and get all of the, the different symptoms, how they're intersecting, and be critical about our thinking so mm -hmm. that can, we can find help people uh, and find out the difference is normal when we're all languishing you know there's this third mental state which is a an absence of well-being because we're all we've got the background of covid and ever in everything and then there was a piece of um, there was a piece in the new york times a few days ago about brain fog and people who haven't had covid mm. because because our world is so distorted we've got this background noise of worry and fear uh, and it's causing a lack of fo focus listlessness all things on the long covid uh, set of symptoms how do we know without controls without looking at other things what the diagnostic criteria are and what we can help with uh, if we stop listening Mm. Well, I think that, that my audience will be so fed up of me saying this, but I'm forever saying we need to get all the cards on the table. And this is one example of which there's some cards that just keep getting knocked off for various reasons. And, very, you know, human nature is an interesting thing, especially when we start to get into the collective and we start to get a bit tribal. But there is some opportunism going on, unfortunately, in my opinion, not putting words in Sue's mouth here, but generally that there are people that want to lump a lot of this in because it's helpful for their agenda. And um, I'm not meaning a malicious agenda there. It might be a noble agenda, but the ends does not justify the means in my book. Admittedly, you know, declared yeah. conversational liberal over here, right? We need to discuss this through maturely, honestly, and openly. It can be vociferous. It can involve debate. It can involve disagreement. Of course it can, including with me, especially with me. But what you're trying to do is do any obscurantism, not that I can say it, if that's even a word, I'm not into it. I don't like it when people try and obscure what might be a pursuit of, of sensible truth. And that's that's what, we, what we're wanting to try to do. I've got some comments coming in here. I'd love your opinion on Sue before we, before we wrap up. Um, Talita, I'm, I'm prioritizing this, of course, because she said she totally gets what I'm saying, which is very rare. So thank you, Talita. That's very good of you. Uh, she, <laughs> she views it as the general public's perception of what exercise and activity is. It's not necessarily the same as rehab exercise as specialists. It also depends on the person in front of you. She goes on to say the CSP definitely muddied the water with their tagline of hate exercise, love activity or something along those lines, which is obviously not a recent campaign, but it was one a couple of years ago. What were your thoughts on, on those points from Talita? Uh, well, I, I think I think we can just that's a, that's a really a really good message. Really, I, I completely agree with with what she's saying on that. And 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 I think this is this has led to some of the misunderstandings that we've seen on social media. Is that we think we're saying we're talking about one thing, and then the response to what you said it shows that that it, it, somebody else is coming with a completely different understanding of what you're saying so so you, you just need to again see the person in front of you find out about their lives about what they do uh, and then contextualize it mm, absolutely um this uh, david then said there's no such illness that is purely biomedical we all have distress it just depends on degrees is, is, is that speaks 100%. to what you're saying doesn't it? yeah it, it all uh, you know i understand that 
you know, with this horrible chronic disease that has been struggling for recognition, which you can't measure, and therefore it makes it difficult to treat. And people label it as anxiety because they have nothing else to offer you. That must be unbelievably frustrating. Um, but, you know, th that doesn't necessarily mean it's about long COVID. And, and, and your psych psychology affects you both negatively and positively. And how do we help people grasp the positive stuff that's going to yeah. it's going to help their recovery not necessarily blame the bad stuff for making it worse uh, you yeah. know and and i think that one of the things that's really tough on this and it, and it's something that we as therapists are often aware of other examples in the in the pain community in 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 OA of, of various different other chronic painful diseases that we we work with and, and people we work with is that there is something to be said for the fact that it's it's there is some toxic positivity that can occur where people are just trying to be a blinkered sunny optimist on stuff which is not helpful but then similarly the flip side also exists and it is in no one's interest for us to create any wallowing and that the pursuit yep. of justice and medical justice and for things to not be dismissed does not necessarily mean that it's smart for you to lump people in that might otherwise with the right attitudes as well as the right treatment then turn a corner and resolve lumping yeah. those in with those with devastating lifelong sequelae of these sorts of events is something that is clumsy at at best and malicious at worst yes. so just let's not make that mistake and as therapists I won't have it that we would be complicit with that yeah. out of the sake of some sort of shallow politeness. Yes, no, absolutely. Our responsibility is to the patient in front of us. We don't know whether that patient is an outlier, whether they're a standard, whatever. So you have to just be critical thinking and what have you. And 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 also, you know, you can't deny other people's experience. If everything is about lived experience, etc., there are people who then recover from this this whatever viral residue there is whatever autoimmune thing it is and can start to get better if you if you say no 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 this can't be possible um because x well actually people are not going to accept your argument you know um and you're actually going to the people you're trying to advocate for because if believable they're not going to believe it you know there's this great legal anecdote about um uh, you know, if you want if you want people to eat your smoked salmon and cream cheese bagels on a plate, you're in a meeting and you put it in front of them, and there's a big turd on the middle of the plate. Nobody's going to want to eat your bagels. If you <laughs> if you have great arguments, you put a really rubbish one in the middle. Nobody's going to believe anything you say. Mm, absolutely. So you have to accept that there are people to get. Absolutely. And that there's type, subtype that don't. And then those people will have the research that they need and will be taken seriously. But if you deny the other people, then people are just not going to believe you. So you can, you can talk about Prof Garner or all these people that are... stuff settled you know yeah. so i'm losing um, your uh i'm, I'm losing you know, some of your signal again i'm afraid sue so if you can hear me all right i think we'll, we'll wrap it there. i realize we're in overtime anyway uh but i'll uh, i'll just i'll just wrap up there if that's all right thank you so much for your time really yeah, appreciate no it and for those that have commented thank you 
Uh, I know the stream has been a bit glitchy, both mine and Sue's end at times, but I know uh, that this has been a really well participated in chat and one that's been off requested, really, uh, both in terms of Sue as a returning guest as well as this topic. Um, so um, thank you. And Evie's, Evie's clearly enjoyed your analogy with the bagel turd situation. So speaking truth there, Sue. And and, and I'll, I'll just add one thing on that is that um, you're... Uh, there is something to be said for that pursuit of of of, of truth there, and it's it's they say the truth will set you free is an adage rather than your truth will set you free for a reason, right? Let's try and circumnavigate that together and recognize what is a commonality, what is the norm beyond just in, you know in, looking inwardly too deeply and thinking that the world can be a naturally subjective space of which we don't then have to marry those experiences across and understand what commonalities might unite us. And I think that if we don't really aspire to that, then we're just going to continue some of the petty squabbling that can occur. So uh, thank you as ever, and uh, we'll speak again soon. No doubt. Thanks, Jack. Cheers. To our then.